you have your Bibles, open it to the book of Joshua, chapter 2. As we're continuing in the book of Joshua, we come to a place right before Joshua enters into the land that God has promised. And in this chapter, we have some moral problems as well as spiritual insights. We've got the moral problems in dealing with Rahab the harlot and the things that pertain to her, but we have a lot of spiritual insight also from her as well as from Joshua. And so let's start with verse 1. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, Shittim was the last encampment under Moses. We see that in Numbers chapter 25 and 33, that this is where Moses left them. This was the last place. Remember, we're talking about millions of people. And so this was the last place where they had established camp and were sitting at or living at temporarily until they were going into this place to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. And here we see that Joshua sends out two spies. Last chapter, we talked about God speaking to Joshua, telling him, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I've gone before you. This is the land I promised to your forefathers. Every place where you step, I am going to give to you. And he gave him the boundaries. And as he spoke to Joshua and gave him this marching order, so to speak, to go forward and to do this, to not be afraid, to, to be encouraged, we come to this place where now he sends out two spies. And you have to ask the question, why send spies out? Didn't God just tell you that the place was yours? So why is he doing reconnaissance? And why is he sending out two spies? Well, a couple of possibilities. First thing I want to present to us, when God asks us to do something, it doesn't take away our responsibility to be diligent in the matter. If God asks you or gives you insight, I want you to go there. It doesn't mean, okay, I don't have to worry about anything. God's going to you know, rain money down from heaven and God is going to provide this and this and that. And I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to go for it. You still have to be wise. If God tells you, I want to step out into a business, start this business. I want to bless it and use it and prosper you in it. Great. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't take research out on what it's going to entail to get this business established, that you shouldn't go to a bank and try and get the best loan that you can, that you shouldn't take the necessary precautions to make sure that this is going to happen. Just because you feel God has told you something doesn't negate your responsibilities in that matter. And so Joshua is told, go, I'm going to give it to you. It doesn't mean, oh, we don't have to worry about it. Let's just go for it. He still is in charge of these people, and so he still wants to know, well, before I go there, I want to find out all I can. I want to be responsible with the information that God gave me. And it's important that we understand that and we acknowledge that. I, I think of the time when Jesus touched and healed those lepers, and then he told them, go and show yourself to the priests. 
as the manner of Moses is in the book of Deuteronomy. He didn't just say, oh, you're, you're healed, go for it now. No, there was procedures that they had to go through to establish in the eyes of the people that I really am healed. Because if they would have ran back home and said, I'm healed, their family would have said, you're a leper, get out of here, you know, go on, get away. But once they went through the procedure prescribed in Moses, then they could say, you are healed. And they did the right thing. They took the right actions after the event happened. And so the same is true with us. When God gives us inspiration, guidance, it doesn't mean, okay, I don't have to do anything. You still have your responsibilities. If you feel like God has given me this job, you still have to wake up in the morning. You still have to go to work. No, God gave me the job. Well, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. You will lose that job if you don't go to work. If you're not a hard worker, if you don't go on time, you're going to lose that favor that God gave you. You have to be responsible. And so Joshua is being responsible. He's being a general. He, he's going and taking care of the things to find out what is necessary. Why does he send two spies out? Well, remember, Joshua was one of the 12 that were sent out early on. When Moses sent out 12 into the land, and 10 of them came back with a bad report. They said there's Nephilim or giants in the land, tyrants. People who made us look like grasshoppers. There's no way we can go into this land. But Caleb and Joshua said, the land is beautiful. The land has got fruit. It's got milk and honey. It's waiting for us. Let's go. But the ten turned the hearts of the multitude. And so because of the hearts of the multitude being turned, saying, oh, we can't go there, they were afraid, God said, okay, you can wander in the desert, in this wilderness, until you pass away and I'll take the next generation. And he took also Joshua and Caleb. So Joshua probably learned from that episode. Don't send 12, I'll just send two. I'll send two who I can trust, who have a good report, and that way when they come back, we're ready to go. You get more people, too many cooks, you know, what's that saying, you know, spoil the soup, or something like that. You get too many people, and ladies, you know this around Thanksgiving time or Christmas time, if everyone wants to get in there and cook, well, I always use raisins in our, you know, it's like, all right. No, it's pasta. What are you thinking? You know, you, you can't do that. And, and you get too many people involved and you start getting, you know, issues and problems. And we have to be wise in that way, too. As a church is established in a community of believers, if we were to every Sunday take a vote, what do you guys want to do next week? You know, and hand out, you know, little check boxes, you know, where you, you know, mark the chad and push it through, you know, and then we'd have, oh no, is this one marked or is this one marked? You know, you, you know, they say we should do this. They say we should do this. Should we go to Mexico? No, we should go to, where is that place? You know, that's where I live. I want to go there. You know, it, you would, you would get chaos. You have to have leadership. You have to have guidance. You have to have people responsible for the group. Joshua was that. He took out two people. They came back as we're going to see with a good report. But we see that Joshua is basically taking charge of what he's been entrusted. 
we have to be responsible for whatever God would entrust to us. Then it says that as they went, he wanted especially into Jericho. Jericho was just on the other side of the Jordan where they were being going to be crossed. And we're going to see next chapter that it is a huge fortified city. It is the predominant city in that region. If you're going to go into this land, you got to deal with Jericho. And so he knows ahead of time, because he'd been there once before, even though the rest of the land and all the land, and it's been 40 years, things have changed, but he knows that there's Jericho on the other side. See what's happening there. And so the spies go in to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Now, and they stayed there. We talked about this briefly, but we've got to talk about it again. You know, because they just mentioned, oh, they went to the house of a prostitute, and then it goes on and talks, and it's like, no biggie. And all of us are going... No, that's a big deal. You don't just go into the house of a prostitute. Well, there's, there's some... First of all, let's be thankful that the Bible's truthful. Okay? Be thankful that it tells the true story. I read some commentaries where they say, well, the, the, it really could mean an innkeeper. But then another commentary said, all the women in, innkeepers were usually prostitutes. That's kind of what it was. And... We see in the New Testament, they refer to Rahab the prostitute. So kind of ends all doubt. No, she was a prostitute. And so they go into this house of prostitution. It is possible that they went there because if you go into that establishment, it's not likely that you're going to have to account for yourself. In other words, they got people going in and out of there all the time that are trying to stay low profile. They don't want to be acknowledged. They don't want to be known or caught. And so it's kind of, if you're going to go, it's a sneaky place to go. If you want to get information, that's a place. The prostitutes probably have a lot of information because a lot of guys go in there. And so if you want to find out something, so what about the city? Well, so-and-so said this. You can get a lot of information going into the house of a prostitute. We also cannot rule out the fact that it was a house of prostitution and the guys might have wanted to go there. We can't just say, oh no, they were noble, they didn't want to do that. Remember Judah? Remember what happened to him? After his wife died and a period of time had passed, Judah went and took Tamar, who was his daughter-in-law, who dressed herself up differently, who he put aside so that he wouldn't have to give her her inheritance. She deceived him, dressed like a prostitute. And we see that Judah, one of the fathers of the 12 tribes, went in to her as a prostitute. And she was wiser than him, tricked him, and he said so. Prostitution was something that was pretty prevalent and something that took place pretty commonplace at the time. We have to acknowledge it. It's not saying it's a good thing. It's not saying that at all. In fact, we know it's not a good thing. But we have to acknowledge that that is a possibility. And the Bible just moves on. It just says this and then, okay, let's go on with the story. And you're like, wait, I want to know, what do you think about this? And God leaves us these things to wrestle with sometimes. Because we're going to start wrestling with the fact that God is going to use a prostitute. And he's going to use her and give her to be an example, as we talked about Sunday, an example of faith. And so verse 2, it goes on, and we'll read 2 to 7. It says, The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent 
This message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and had hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know who they were and who they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she, she had taken them up to the roof and had hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. And so here we come to the place where the king is somehow made aware that the spies had come in. First of all, we notice that the king is aware that the Israelites are there. He knows that they're there, and we're going to see that from the things that take place in the next chapter or the next verses to come, that everyone was aware of them. And so he wants to find out what's going on. He wants to catch them. And what we see happen is he goes there, she lies. She hides them under the stalks of flax. And the flax, they were these long vines that they used to strip and make linen from. And so what they would do is take these long stacks, if you could imagine, like kind of like a bamboo thing where they would lay them out to dry and then they would peel them off later so that they could weave fabric and linen out of them. Well, the guys were hiding underneath it. You couldn't see them. She put them there and she hid them there. And we see now <clears throat> that here this prostitute is helping the people of God and lying to the king. And we have to ask ourselves, does God use people who are living in this kind of a life? Does God use people who would lie to a king? And, and you see, this is the moral question that we're, we're going to touch on. And I don't know if our answer is going to be satisfactory or not, but I think it's important that we address these things and talk on these things. It's interesting how God views people both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And what's interesting about it is the perception that God has. Did any of you see the Cardinals-Green Bay game last Sunday? Any football fans in here? <clears throat> An incredible game. The Arizona Cardinals-Green Bay Packers went back and forth, back and forth into overtime. At the last moment, the Cardinals ended up winning, and it was a fluke play. The Packers had the ball. The quarterback fumbled. They went into the end zone. Incredible game. Incredible game. If someone hadn't seen that game, and they came up to me, and they said, hey, there's going to be a game on TV. You know, it's the Cardinals and the Packers. You want to watch it? Saying, yeah, it's a good game. I'll watch. You want to make a bet? See who wins? Sure. How much you want to bet? How much you got? You <laughs> see, I know who won. And I mean, it, it started off where the Cardinals were doing great, but then the Packers made an incredible comeback and the momentum was headed their way and they got the ball when it was in overtime. They almost won the game. But you see, I knew the end. I knew who won. I had confidence. I could put all the money I had 
on the right team because I knew who won the game. God knows what people are going to turn into. And it's interesting because everyone who is an example in the Old Testament, as they are talked about in the New Testament, they are never talked about in a negative way. Their sins are never brought up. When they talk about David, you never hear about the problems he had. Even Lot. Righteous Lot. Which Lot are you talking about? Abraham, a father of faith. What about when he went to Egypt and told everyone his wife was his sister? That righteous father of faith? And you see, God knows the completed work. And where we would see Rahab the harlot, God sees Rahab the woman of faith. And so that's how he perceives her. So can God use a person of faith? Yes. But wait, I see she's a harlot. Well, God sees something else. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will complete it. Do you know that God doesn't look at us right here in our condition, but sees us completed? We talked about this when we went through Romans. Chapter 8, those who he called, he predestined. Those who he predestined, he justified. Those who he justified, he glorified. That he has called us, that he has justified us, that he has glorified us. And he sees us in a completed state. He sees us as seated at the right hand in heavenly places. Well, Jesus is at the right hand. He sees us, us in heavenly places, Ephesians tells us. He sees us in a completed state because he has no problem with this time issue that we deal with. And so it's no problem for God to look at a person like Rahab or to look at a person like us and say, I can use you because I see you in a completed state. And it's so hard sometimes for us to understand that and not be burdened with our own shortcomings. I just got off the phone with a person who is dealing with something like that. Who, whose life is, is right now in a, a tumultuous state because of choices that they've made that have devastated themselves, their family. And as they're crying out to God and crying out to me, basically saying, is God there? Can, is there help for me? What do I need to do to move forward that they don't realize that they already have moved forward by crying out to God? That God is not going to see you forever in this condition, but God is going to take you in this condition and move you somewhere else. Do you want to be moved to that other place? Because that is the decision, decision that they're going to have to make, just as we're going to see Rahab made that decision. Now, to get to this place, we see that Rahab lied. The scriptures tells us we're to obey the authorities that are over us. We're to obey the king. She lied to the king. Is that okay? Is that all right? It seems like God blessed it. I mean, she's blessed in scripture. She's a woman of faith. Is that all right? Now we start, you know, getting into some 
dangerous ground. Everyone's like, well, is, is, are you going to say it's okay to lie? No, I'm not going to say it's okay to lie. Jesus said, do you remember David? When he took the showbread that was only for the priests and gave it to his men, his context was they were complaining that he was breaking the Sabbath. You were breaking the law of God by healing on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that. And Jesus used David as an example. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, we see that David is running from King Saul. He comes up to the priest and he says, I'm on a mission from the king. That was a lie. You need to give me the bread so that we can eat it. Well, the bread is only for the priest. Well, I'm on a mission from the king. You need to give it to us. It was life and death situation. They hadn't had any food. They were running for their lives. They would die if they did not have anything. And Jesus doesn't condemn David. He, in a sense, pardons him. He doesn't say what he's done was good. He never says it was okay for him to lie. But what he alludes to is that there was something more important than the laws that you were abiding by. There is something that is more important that you need to understand that is taking place here. We've heard the scripture. It is, obedience is better than sacrifice. Another one that takes place in Samuel. And I want to challenge us on how we think because my mind always goes, well, you need to obey. You need to obey. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Okay, okay than to hearken to the fat of lambs. What, what was Samuel talking to Saul about? And is, isn't it more important to obey and not tell a lie than it is to sacrifice? That's kind of where my mind goes. But let me challenge how we think about this. You see, the sacrifice is relating to the ceremonial obedience. The sacrifice that Samuel is talking about to Saul when he says to obey is better than sacrifice, to obey is better than the ceremonial rituals that you follow and go through. In other words, God has something that is more important than just following rules, which is exactly what Jesus said when he said David took the showbread and ate it instead of following the ceremonial practices. Because God cared more about David and supplying for the men than he did the ceremony. Jesus cared more for the crippled man and healing him than he did worrying about the ceremonial day of the Sabbath. There is a law of God that is more important than the laws established by men. And we want to divide it black and white. You know, this is how it is. You can never do this. You can never do that. But it's not always that clear. Sometimes the law of God and the heart of God, which is the foundation, establishes what is true and what is right. Let me give you a situation. I heard this on the radio one time from uh, Dennis Prager. He's Jewish. He's not a believer. And someone was talking to him about right and wrong and lying is always wrong. And he said, well, let me ask you something. If 
a woman came running to you, running from her life, from these guys who were trying to hurt her and murder her. And she ran away and said, don't tell them where I'm going. And she ran and hid over to the left. And these guys came and said, have you seen that woman? Which way did you, she go? Did she go to the left or to the right? You tell them to the left, she's going to be killed. You tell them to the right, she's going to get away. If you say, I don't know, they're going to know you're lying because you're right there in the middle. What do you do? What's the right thing to do? I'm not supposed to lie. There's a woman's life at stake. What does God care about? Whether you tell a lie or the life of this woman from these criminals who are trying to hurt her. You see, there is a standard that God has that is more important than establishing those little rules. Now, the important thing to understand is God establishes the standard, not we. And whenever we see it used, it's for the benefit of someone else and not themselves. In other words, David was helping his men out. Jesus was healing the cripple. Rahab was helping the spies who were there. For, it wasn't just for her benefit. It was for the benefit and the things that God cared about. And what I want us to think about and to try and wrestle with, because you have to, it's not something you can just say, this is always wrong, this is always right. What you have to wrestle with is what is the heart of God? It's not that the ends justify the means, it's that God holds what is right. And what does God say is right? You see, God would tell the nation of Israel to go into battle and kill. Is killing right? Well, in the context of God establishing something, sometimes it is. Sometimes war is a good thing. Nazi Germany is an obvious thing that war can be a good thing. Stalin is an actual sign that war it can be a good thing. You see, sometimes bad things like war have to take place so that worse things don't take place. Sometimes bad things like telling a lie take place to prevent something worse from happening like the spies getting killed. Now, it doesn't mean, well, I can just make up what I want. God's not going to be mocked. God knows the truth and he is going to reveal the truth. You're not going to get away with it. If it is for your own good, if it is for your own self, if it's to consume something that's going to just be selfish and benefit your ways and not be a part of the plan or heart of God, you're not going to get away with it. You can't justify it. So what do I have to do? You have to listen. You have to side with God. You have to know what God is saying. You have to be in tune with God. But to obey is better than sacrifice. See what I'm saying? Because sometimes we think of the sacrifice, the ceremonial rules, as being the right thing. But obedience has to do with the heart of God and not just following the regulations. So, those are the moral dilemmas in this chapter. And that's just touching on it. And I probably have at, made more questions than I've answered. And good. I, I like that. You take them up with God. I'm just, I'm just sharing the scriptures with you and the things that I see that are in there. But I, I get bothered when people say, well, you know, this is absolutely wrong all the time. And then they ignore accounts like this or they try and twist the scriptures to ignore what took place here or what Jesus did and what Jesus said about David and what David did. 
and they wash those things over. And it's like, well, that's not true. Of course, God sees us justified already, but it's not like God is saying, well, yeah, I wish she wouldn't have lied. Which was she supposed to do? What, what, what would I do? What should, what should I have done if I was in that situation? Well, you just tell the truth and trust God for that. They might have been killed. I wouldn't have been a woman of faith. What about that? Wrestle with it. Because I believe that she did the right thing. And I believe she heard the voice of God, as we're going to see later on, that she had a spiritual awareness in these things and gave into those things. This first portion, we're seeing that the spies are sent out and we see what takes place with them. And then we're going to see now the spies are gaining some information in verses 8, and we're going to go all the way down through 21. Well, we might. We'll see. We'll stop. We'll probably stop and talk about some of this. Verse 8, it says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Seon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. I think this is insightful because it tells us what Rahab is aware of. It gives us an inclination of her heart as well as her desire. We see a spiritual awareness that she has in verses 10 and 11. We have heard how the Lord did these things, how he dried up the waters of the Red Sea, how you conquered these two kings that were on the other side of Jordan and you completely destroyed them. We have heard, verse 11 of it, our hearts failed. And then I love what she says, and everyone's courage failed you for the Lord your God is God in heaven and on earth below. Because your God, he is the God. There is a, a spiritual awareness there. She is aware of the true God, who he is. You are with these people. We are aware of it. At least I am aware of it. Everyone else's hearts melted. But I saw that your God is the God. And so we see there is spiritual awareness there on her part. We also see that there is a spiritual desire. In verse 12, when she says, Now, then please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. She asked that they would show kindness, and then she goes on, verse 13, that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters who belong to them, and you will save us from death. There is desire that you will be kind to us and that you will save us. You know, this is really the steps that take place when we come to faith in Christ. 
there is a spiritual awareness that you are God. And then there is the spiritual desire, I need to be saved. And we see that taking place with Rahab. She is aware of the true God and she is aware that if I'm going to be saved, I need you to show me kindness. And so we see these taking place, her spiritual perception, her spiritual need being made aware. And then we see that she's actually yielding to the Lord. In verse 14, it says, Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go your way. So then what we see is she surrenders and actually helps and yields to what they say. She makes a bargain with them. She continues in that bargain. The men, verse 17, said to her, this oath you made with us, swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. And so there's this little bargaining. If you do this, we'll do this. But if you don't do this, we're not going to do that. If you do that, we're responsible. But if you don't, we're not responsible. He kind of goes with this. And so there is this spiritual yielding. She says, okay, what you said, I'm going to do. And if I don't do what you said, then I will not be saved. My family will not be saved. If I don't yield to what you ask, then I relinquish this oath that we've made. And you see, the same thing can be true with us. We have an awareness of God. We are spiritually aware. We have a desire to be saved. But then comes the time when we have to yield, where we have to surrender our lives to the will of God. Because it's not enough to know that God's there. It's not enough to know and desire him to save us. We have to surrender. We have to give up the pink slip of our lives and say, okay, what you said I'm going to do. I will yield to the things that you say. I will bring the family in here. I will hang the scarlet cord out the window. I will do what you say. I will not tell anyone that you came here. I will keep the oath. And we have to do the same thing. We have to yield to the work of God in our lives. When God tells us something, gives us insight in the scripture to flee from lust or not be greedy, to abstain from certain things. We have to yield to those things that he's asked us to do. To love one another. To love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We have to yield to that. And it's an effort. This person I just spoke with is struggling in this area of just hatred for some of the things that have been done to them. 
and and they're at this place where they realize the need for God in their lives, but they have so much and are harboring so much hatred for these people. And some of these people are people of faith. People who are in church, who are well-meaning in some ways, but misinformed. And now they're presenting them with this roadblock and they're struggling. How do I get to God and get past this hatred that I'm feeling? You have to yield yourself. You have to realize what is more important than even your hatred and those things that you're harboring. And we all have things that we have to yield to. We all have areas of our lives where we have to recognize what it is and we have to say, no, I need to do what God wants me to do. We need to agree with God. And that's what 1 John 1.9 says. If we confess our sin, that word confess means agree with God about our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, we have to be in agreement and we have to yield ourselves to what he says is right. And then we have the promise. Then we can enter in because we have yielded ourselves to him. And the result of all these things, the result of being spiritually aware, the result of having that spiritual desire and hunger, that result of spiritually yielding ourselves, the result is faith. And that's what we find in verse 21. Agreed, she replied. Let it be done. Let it be as you say. So she went, sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. She did it. And that's why James says of Rahab in James 2.26, as the body without, or in James 2.25, excuse me, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Her belief and trust in God produced faith that works. She put the red cord out the window. What was that? That was, I believe. That was her saying, I believe in the agreement that we've made. I'm going to do it. Faith. Something that you can hold on to. It's a scarlet robe that leads to the heart of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so we see here in Rahab, faith. The promise of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. She holds on to what they've said, what they've agreed in. She puts the cord out, their win out her window. She has faith. And so we see the spiritual insight in Rahab that really needs to take place in each of our lives. And it is a progression that develops. It first comes with the awareness of who God is. And then the awareness of your need and desire for what he has, salvation. Yielding to his plans for your life, yielding to his will for your life, and then believing it and living it. Rahab did those things, and she became a pillar of faith that is talked about in Hebrews, the hall of faith. 
she did what God had for her to do. She put her trust in him and acted on it. And it was evidenced by that cord that hung out the window. Now, the spies go back because of Rahab. Their lives are spared because of Rahab. She showed kindness to them. God rewarded that with sparing them. In verse 22, it says, When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. Everything meant everything. They told him probably all about Rahab. They had to. They made the oath with her. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. What's interesting about the report that they give isn't just what they say, but it's what they leave out. See, part of what they shared here talks about just what they saw as God giving them the land. They didn't talk about, well, the city walls are huge and the king's aware of us. He's on the alert. He's already, you know, vigilant against us. It wasn't the lions and tigers and bears, oh my, kind of a thing. It was, hey, they're, they're afraid. The city belongs to us. You see, what they said was confirmation to what God has said. And what they saw and heard from Rahab, the insight that they got was, God has already come here. Isn't that what God told us? Isn't that what God spoke to us about and, and to... Our forefathers, it's what he told Joshua, don't be afraid, I've given them to you. It's what he told Moses. When you go into that place, their hearts are going to melt with fear. And so when they went and they heard Rahab, the people's hearts are melting with fear, they said. God's here. That's what he said. That's what God said he was going to do. And it was confirmation that God had already shown up and was doing the work. The people's hearts were already afraid. And so they go back to Joshua and they say, Joshua, it's just as the Lord had said. The whole land is ours. The people, their hearts are melting with fear. It's amazing how your perspective changes what you see. Lauren and I were talking today about it. In one of her classes, they have this test where these guys are playing basketball and she's, the teacher asks, okay, I want you to count how many baskets the team in white makes. And so the people are watching and the whole class is watching this video and they're counting one, two, well, how many baskets do they make? Oh, 13, they made 13 baskets. And what about the, the bear that was moonwalking across the court? And everyone's like, what? What are you talking about? Well, what about the bear? There, there's no bear. And they take and rewind the video, and sure enough, as you're watching the video, all of a sudden you see this bear moonwalking across the court. And everyone's all like, where was that? And it was there, but you were so busy counting the baskets, you didn't see the bear moonwalking across the court. It was always there, you just didn't see it. Why? Because your focus was on something else. 
How can you miss it? How can you miss a bear moonwalking across a basketball court? How can you miss that God is there with you? Talk about the elephant in the room. Talk about the bear moonwalking across the court. God was there, but if your eyes are on something else, the walls are so big, the king is vigilant against us, then you miss God who is there already. And you see, so many times our eyes and our lives are focused on so many things, we miss the most evident thing that's taking place, and that is God is here and he is at work. That he's true to his promise, what he said, we saw it take place. And once they saw that, I imagine once Rahab said those words, the people's hearts melt with fear. They thought, we heard those words from Joshua, we heard those words from Moses, and all they could see was God. And the other things didn't, didn't phase them at all. They didn't even see them. The walls, what walls? Were there walls? I didn't see the walls. The king, should we worry about the army? I, I wasn't worried. God showed up. He was there. And that's what they saw. May that be what we see. It's what Rahab saw. She knew that your God is the God I want to be with you. She saw that. She did what was necessary. She yielded to that. She had faith in that. And it produced a life that lived in that way that honored God. The spies came back and all they saw was that God was there already. The land belongs to, our, to us. Why? Because God's there. What's facing your life? What, what wall, and we're going to talk about this more next week, but what is it that you see and you just think, I can't get past it? Man, my problems are this big. And God seems this big. And really, your God is this big. And your problems, where are they? I can't even see them in comparison to who God really is. And if we could have those eyes of faith, know who it is we believe in and trust and live for him, yield ourselves to him, have faith in him, then our lives will produce the same thing as Rahab, as these spies. Not only will we have faith, we'll have something good to report. Why? Because God is already there. He has given the whole land into our hands. The people, they're melting in fear because of us. Do we see ourselves in that way or do we see ourselves as the underdogs? The world's against us. Oh no, we got to petition and get the right bills passed. Otherwise, you know, same-sex marriage is going to come and take over the country and then Christianity will just be gone. Or can we take Jesus' words, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Ain't going to happen. Oh, no, but what about these rights? And what about these people? And what about, you know, they're going to start making it illegal to pray in school? And, oh, no, 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 no. And God's saying, do you see me? Do you see me over here? This bear moonwalking across the court. Do you, do you see who I am? You think the school district, do you think the government in the United States only been here for 200-some years is going to stop me? Do you think this country, do you think countries are, are, are in my hands? The kings, I establish them, I take them down. Do you see me? Whose side are we on? Because we, we make this battle so much harder when we focus on the wrong things. 
if we'd focus on the God who is doing incredible things, yeah, we still have to send out the spies. We still have to be diligent. You still should vote. You should do all those things. But do you see? Do you have faith? And let that faith be what moves you in the right direction. Let's pray. Father, you are always drawing us closer. You are always leading us more and more towards yourselves. Father, later on, Joshua would say that you did all these things so that the people on earth might know your hand and that they might fear you. Father, you did these mighty works so that we would know that we would recognize you, that we would yield ourselves to you and think more of you than we do of ourselves. Father, I pray that we would, like Rahab, be people of faith. And may we not get locked into a situation and thinking, oh, we're not good enough. We, we, we can't do those kinds of things. We can't be used in that way. Father, may we recognize that we are all works in progress and that you do not limit us, but we do limit ourselves. And Father, may we make the right decisions, yield ourselves to you so that we will reap what we sow and it will be righteousness. It will be fruit that lasts. God, may we have eyes that are fixed on you and may we see you and your work within not only our lives, but our community and this world. God, may we recognize your favor and that if you are with us, who can be against us? God, you gave your son for us. How much more will you freely give us all things concerning life and righteousness? So, Lord, we ask, give us. Give us Upland. Lord, give us the neighboring cities. Give us this community, Lord, that we would move forward with the power of who you are. And might we not be afraid, but might we recognize that you have gone before us, that people's hearts are melting, and it's an opportunity for you to prove yourself as God. Thank you, God, for your favor, your goodness. Bless, we pray. These things, may they be in our hearts and our minds, and we ask it in Jesus' name.